Welcome everybody to Book of Bottom Podcast, GG Edition, <laughs> where GG and I will tear strips off episode 18 of the Saints huh. Podcast on the Mormon channel. Oh, actually on that, I noticed that at the beginning of this episode, they had a different person's voice come in than I'm used to, a different intro. And the intro didn't say Mormon channel. It said, watch more on LDS.org, blah, 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 blah. Huh. But they didn't catch it all because at the end of the show, Ben Godfrey does his outro and he's still Adventures, the Mormon channel. <laughs> oh, well, that's of the devil. They're trying to patch it up, but they fucked it. They so can't get bad. it out. They can't rewrite history just like they oh, did in 1984. No. It's always been this way. This has always been the way it's been. No, it isn't. It was just last week that you were all saying Mormon. You know what? You're right. It is so 1984 when they rewrite history. <laughs> you can never erase every scrap. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to tear the saints podcast a new one in a series i called roasting saints we've actually got a good chunk of sarah iring talking which is lovely oh your favorite (laughs) my favorite i'd probably hate her if i met her but anyway sarah she has a lovely voice and is probably fugly sorry sarah i mean i'm fugly we were all fugly, Sarah. No, not with that voice. It's not possible. Gigi's not, though. Gigi's, she's a very nice looking woman. I know you can't see her, but, you know, there you go. For a 50-year-old lady. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're not 50. You might be staring it down, but you're not 50. So what's up with this new job I understand you are working? Yeah, I'm working for a company that's been employed by a bank, so they're an outsourced company. <laughs> So you have to show up to a place. I have to show up to a place and it's full time. Oh no. I get home and it's just been quite a transition to work out how to find the oomph to do all the things that I want to do with my life when I spend so much of it away. No, your life is over now. You know that, right? (laughs) I got to make it work. Do you see how much weight I've gained in my face since I went back to work? I've stopped doing yoga. You're a little bit rounder in the face. That's not always bad. Right? I mean, I lost weight while I was on that cruise because it was so hard to find food. (laughs) (laughs) I gained weight right away back over the holidays. And then because I've been working so much, I'm not going for walks with the dogs. Working full time means you have no self-care time. It's tough. And even when you're off work, your mental state is one of work. Mm. Feeling like I really still need to be doing something because there's stuff that I need to like have finished by Monday, kind of. And Uh, I hate it when you're work goes home with you yeah it's like you don't have time off because you're always thinking about it got an idea for you jg what instead of working as a lawyer which you've trained many hours to do and you got the degree and all of that you passed the bar i know but bear with me with this idea instead of doing that where you're always on and you take your work home with you why don't you work a temp job that when you clock off you don't give a fuck about it i try to do it as contract work like i try to be like i'm only gonna work four days a week and it creeps into your life doesn't it Uh uh-huh and i realize 
was like, they really needed somebody there full time. Like they couldn't just keep me on as a contractor. Uh. It was either take the job or never work again as an attorney. I switched from defense work to plaintiff's work. You just don't do that in your career too many times, if that makes sense. (laughs) So I realized once I had started working for this guy who was on the plaintiff's side, like there was really no going back to the defense really. Yeah. Because I was starting to be on cases where I was suing people that I would need to defend if I ever went back. And that's a conflict. You can't do that. So like you don't switch back and forth. So when I took this job, I was like, okay, this is either my job until I retire or like just go do contract work. I do something else or I become a stay at home lady. Like, what is that? Become a stay at home TikToker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's no money in that. No. And that's the thing. Like, I'm very realistic. Like, I don't play the lottery. No. Like, I never thought that I would be the person that makes it big somewhere. Like, I realized very young, like, oh, there's a lot of people that want to get into Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Just in my high school, I was like, oh, there are people way more talented or more beautiful than me. I thought to myself, I can't even compete with these people in high school. Maybe I should be more realistic about what I want to do with my life. Like, maybe that's selling yourself short. Who knows? Maybe I could have been the biggest shit in Hollywood ever. Ah, you could have been, JJ. I would have been a poor waitress. (laughs) Probably until I was a bitter old waitress. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that do that, hey. Right? So how many days have you been back at work now? Uh, It's been a bit over two weeks. I just got my first paycheck and that's kind of a relief. I mean, that's the whole point of it. Are the taxes as bad in Australia as they are in America? I don't know. They didn't charge as much. It was about 10% when I looked at the first one, which I thought it should have been more than that. What are your taxes like? One third gets taken out is how I feel. Oh. I don't know if that's correct, but it seems yeah. high. But I'm in California because I pay federal and state. Right. And your income would be a lot higher than mine too. If I was in the next bracket, I would probably have 20% taken out or something. I don't know what the rates are. The tax brackets are way they are in America, it's like you have to earn a lot more than I do to be in like a higher tax bracket. Oh, really? It's just so weird. Yeah, I should know what the tax is. I should (laughs) educate myself on that shit. But you know what? There's only so much time in life and I want to enjoy it. Right? (laughs) I'm starting to realize that this is all bullshit. It's all bullshit. In my car right now, in the frunk, because I don't have a trunk. I have a, well, I have a frunk and a trunk. A frunk? Yeah, because I have an electrical vehicle that doesn't have an engine. Oh, that's right. So they put a little compartment in the front and they call it a frunk. In my frunk right now, I have a purple pea coat covered in poo. And if you're listening, say that five times really fast. In my frunk, there is a purple (laughs) pea coat covered in poo. And it's in my frunk because I've been meaning to take it to the dry cleaner. And I have not had time. Oh. It's called Frank's Dry Cleaner. And Frank is never open on normal hours. Oh, fuck you, Frank. He only takes cash. Frank. And so (laughs) I don't have time to take this purple pea coat covered in poo to the dry cleaner. One of the dogs ran into some poo (laughs) and then jumped on me. And I was like, oh, holy crap. I took it off immediately and like wrapped it and put it into a bag and put it into my frunk so that I would take it to the goddamn cleaners. 
Do not have time. Now, if I had a wife. That's what you need, JG. You need a wife. Just like every man who's successful in the 1950s, that woman would come and take your purple peacoat and she would get it clean. Uh-huh. Right? This is how bad my car is right now. I had to go down to Temecula for work recently. Temecula. Three hours south of where I live. What a cool name, though. I know. It's this little town near San Diego. Is that a town's name? Temecula. Yeah. It's known for twine. It sounds like speculum or something. It brings up images of the gynecologist. I think it's like an indigenous tribal name of an oh, area. Yeah, definitely. Temecula <laughs> Creek or something. Uh, sorry. Because, uh. you know, all of everywhere I live is like originally not my land. Like this is like everything is indigenous here in San Diego. Now, around this time, people in my office were getting some kind of food poisoning sickness or some kind of stomach bug. Uh. On the way back, I got some pretzels at a like gas station like it's where you charge your electric vehicles they have like these places you can get something to eat now when you say pretzels you mean bread don't you because like when mm-hmm. i think pretzels i think of the little they look like bread pretzels but tiny and they're crunchy and they've got these huge chunks of salt in them yeah no these were like the baked kind from a place called wetzel's pretzels and they give you like these bread bite pretzels yes and so i got this bag of pretzels and i'm driving back home and And I feel sick and I pull over and I end up like puking in my car. Oh, JJ. Into this bag of half-eaten pretzels. And then when I think that I'm okay, like I'm getting back on the road and I don't really have anywhere to throw away this bag of pretzels, but it's like holding up pretty well with the amount of puke that's in there. (laughs) But here's the problem. By the time I start hitting the Los Angeles traffic, because mind you, my car is driving itself. Oh, okay. Like I'm reading the text that tell me like, by the way, everybody, certain people in the office are sick from this stomach bug. And at that point, I'm like projectile vomiting into this bag of pretzels. How delightful. And the bag starts to fail. (laughs) So I had to make a decision on what item of clothing I had on me that I was going to sacrifice to like put under this bag of pretzel puke. That's lovely. And the next question was, is how many things was I wearing? How many things were you wearing, Gigi? Two items. Yeah, like a top and a bottom. No, I had like a sheath dress and a jacket. (laughs) (laughs) and at this point in the front of my car i have a purple peacoat oh dear covered in poo (laughs) and it's still in the front of my car and now i have a bag of puke covered pretzels (laughs) <laughs> and that's sitting in the well of the vehicle. Oh. And then I have my suit jacket, and that's like periwinkle color. Girl. <laughs> and that is now sitting under the failing bag of Wetzel pretzel puke. Oh. And I couldn't pull over because the traffic was so bad. But the great thing is, is I felt way better after that. Like, I was able to get home the rest of the way. <laughs> I really need to get it cleaned and detailed because there's some puke in an air vent. In an air vent? In the back seat. Did a projectile vomit or something? <laughs> Did you just sit there and be like, Aah! and it just splatters all over the place? It's like a crime scene. <laughs> and all I can say is that I had the driver's seat tilted back and the vomit <laughs> surprised me. Oh all I had was Wetzel's pretzels and a bag of Vermont cheddar flavored kettle cooked chips. Oh. I have to say the vomit did not taste bad at all. 10 out of oh. 10. If I had to vomit. <laughs> 
cheesy but of course at this point i'm thinking to myself like why the hell am i working like yeah brad's on vacation he's gonna do like the grand canyon all this shit and i'll be working well you've got to have little things in your life that are little holidays you got to work it in otherwise it'll never happen when are you going on a holiday oh i don't like going on holidays SEC investigation into Ensign Peak disclosure violations is at an advanced stage. Likely will result in a settlement and fine in coming weeks. Ooh, that sounds good. But probably won't happen, hey? Ooh, oh, that's in the Wall Street Journal. Hmm. The $100 billion portfolio of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was long a secret in the investment world. Hmm, okay. Wait, what are they saying they did wrong? Oh, I can't read the whole article because it's blocked from me, but it was a secret in the investment world? Yeah. The ways you get in trouble with the SEC are the following. You fail to disclose something you're supposed to disclose, <laughs> or you trade on information that's not public. It's probably the disclosure thing. Right. Or you do some kind of business that's not allowed, like a Ponzi scheme. Mm. Or if you're a church siphoning money to an investment company, I imagine some kinds of things they would have to disclose about where they're getting money or something. I don't know. Mm. I took one business law class, and I was like <laughs> falling asleep sleep every day oh it's terrible isn't it i kept thinking fuck i really wish i loved this because this is where people go to make money <laughs> yeah right like this is where the rich lawyers go i could use some money to do all the things i want to do in my life hmm if only i could pay attention to it i know <laughs> there's one article coming up called in light of the impending irs case Against the church. Oh, yeah, I'm seeing that one. What is that one about? The church's governing first presidency, made up of blah, 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 and his counselors, blah, 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 rejected any allegation of fraudulent behavior, insisting in a news release that the faith complies with all applicable law governing our donations, investments, taxes, and reserves. Patrick Mason, head of Mormon studies at Utah State University, <laughs> told the Salt Lake Tribune, that stories like this will undoubtedly trouble many church members and lead them to wonder whether their charitable giving is best directed toward an institution that reportedly has a stockpile twice as large as Harvard's endowment. Twice as large as Harvard's endowment. What do we mean when we say Harvard's endowment? I think that means that's the money that they sit on that they just draw the interest off of. Wow. I mean, I might be wrong. So Mormonism's dick is bigger than Harvard's dick. I mean, they did spend a lot of time breeding more members, you know. <laughs> There's only one campus at Harvard, but the Mormons kept spreading out. Oh, well, apparently the temple clothing, those garments have been updated or changed or something. Really? And the endowment ceremony has been zhuzhed up a bit. Now they tell you what you're going to be promising before they give you the option to leave so that you know what you're getting into. And then you can decide. Informed consent. Oh, about what they're about to get into. Look, when you go through the temple, all your family is there. There's a lot of pressure. You don't want to just run out. And so much manipulation, first of all, to get you there, because usually it's because you just want to get married and have sex. Because <laughs> you're taking your endowments before you're getting married, or you're going on a mission and you're taking your endowments to get on the mission because that's what you need to do in order to get married and have sex. Mm, that's right. Huge driving <laughs> power right there. <sighs> 
So then you're in a room with all of your family in a weird getup of clothing that you really don't even know what the hell is going on because nobody will tell you. And then they tell you that you can leave if you want, but they don't tell you what's about to happen. So you go along. Right. So they've kind of changed it. So at least they tell you that you're covenanting to give all your time and your talents to the Lord. By the way, there's another topic we need to talk about because Ed and Divchina keep messaging me about all things that are weird and horrible and interesting Mormon. Have you heard of Chad and Laurie Daybell? Oh, yeah. And it looks like they allegedly may have killed their kids or something. Yes. And even if they didn't, the whole story is just wacko. So Lori was arrested. Chad was arrested. They're both in jail pending trial. Neither one of them made bail, obviously, because ugh, the charges are so horrendous. Mm. And also, it's not just their children. Some of the allegations is that they killed their spouses as well. Like Lori was going through a divorce and her brother killed her husband. And Chad's wife, we think, died of poisoning, but think they had to exhume her body to test it. And I'm not sure if the results have come out on that. They just arrested her within the last two years. I mean, this could take three to four years to go to trial. Well, theoretically. (sighs) If they don't plead guilty and if it does go to trial, it will be all over the news and then it'll be a torrent and it'll be a two-week to a month hullabaloo. Because uh, they're going to try them separate, not together. So it'll be one after the other. It'll be a whole thing. I don't even know. Right. One of them is going to make a plea deal against the other, I bet. Buckle up. And we'll see. The insanity is going to get gruesome and also just comical at the same time, I'm sure. just It's got something for everyone. Yeah, the Mormon overtones and undertones and weirdness and... It's complex and bonkers. The whole thing's bonkers and it's, it's all based on very fundamental Mormon ideas. And conspiracy theories that arise out of Mormon fundamental, like... End time stuff. Second coming and... Yeah. I mean, look, I have been to a lot of Mormon functions Mm. and not one event ever encouraged me to commit murder. No. So this is not a normal activity for Mormons. Like This is not what they're about. Not for the mainstream church. Right. But it is interesting to see, though, how to some extent the dogma and the ideology can be put into a situation where it warps somebody's brain. Absolutely. So what was the clips that we were going to listen to today? Just four clips. Sarah's surprise that Smitty bought the book of Abraham sourced from a potentially shonky antiques dealer. Is that the clip I'm listening to? That's the one. Michael Chandler shows up in Kirtland and he has several scrolls. And he also shows up with some mummies. And the story that he gives is that they have through several transactions, came from Egypt, and they wind up in his hands in New York City, and he then brings them to Kirtland. It's all above board. Uh, He's a businessman. This is a time when there's great interest in Egypt. So this was a fairly common thing that there might be artifacts and kind of traveling around, and people would come and pay to see those. I think it's so interesting that Joseph actually, he purchases some of those artifacts, including what I didn't realize was the book of Abraham. I had no idea that that's where that book came from. Maybe others know, but maybe other readers will be surprised like me that that's where that came from. I didn't know that. Tell us a little bit about that. Like all curious people in the community, Joseph uh, comes out. He looks at things. Uh, Michael Chandler lets him uh, take the scrolls uh, and look at them closely. 
And Chandler was aware that Joseph had translated uh, gold plates, that there was a Book of Mormon. Joseph has time to look at the scrolls, and then he comes back and says on at least one of the scrolls somewhere, there were uh, writings that could be traced back to Abraham. It's important to remember that Abraham wasn't the person who wrote on that particular piece of parchment. We actually have a couple of fragments in the church history library. We've used uh, historical dating methods to date these fragments to two or three hundred years before Jesus Christ. So someone would have copied Abraham's writings onto one of these scrolls, and that would be the thing that uh, Joseph encountered in the 1830s. Wow, that's incredible. (laughs) That's where the Book of Abraham comes from? In the book, in the perfect price? Yeah, he bought this parchment. It has nothing to do with that because now we can translate it. Back then we couldn't because... The Rosetta Stone came after this, so they didn't know what was on it. But Smitty takes it, looks at it for a bit and goes, oh, there's definitely something from Abraham on this. I'm going to use this as my prop for my next little book of horse shit. And they don't have really any records of how he did this. They've got some notes that he made in English, but that's it. He just made the whole fucking thing up. Turns out the manuscript is about something completely different. It's about some funeral thing. Nothing to do with Abraham. Wow. But they're justifying it in the next clip about the translation process, but yeah. Wait, did they recognize this is not what those things say? They don't say it specifically, but they say other things to explain away the translation process because obviously it wasn't a translation. It's like 1984 again. It's like, let's change what the word translate means so that we're still okay. How was it translated? Oh, that's easy. Remember that translate equals fib. (laughs) (laughs) What was this translation process like? An important starting point for all of the translations that Joseph did is to think about the word translation. We commonly say Joseph translated the Book of Mormon, the Book of Abraham, the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. In all cases, we use the word translation. In all three of those, the process was different. In the Book of Mormon, Joseph uh, looked at a seer stone and dictated words to a scribe. The Joseph Smith translation of the Bible, it might be better in that case to call it an inspired reading. With the Book of Abraham, we don't have any record of him reading along in English. We don't have any record of him using a seer stone or, or another object. We see him taking some notes, but those notes don't account for everything produced in the book of Abraham. We see him taking some notes. You mean of his thoughts, he was journaling. Set aside what we think the word translation means in the 21st century. I'll just set it aside, put it on your shelf until your shelf breaks. And then just think about how does a prophet of God encounter things and bring them to us in the latter days. And in each time, that process was a little bit different. Thank you very much. That's really helpful to think about it in that way. This is a word salad. (laughs) It's like he's just tap dancing his way through a little bit of flim flam. Kind of fast so that your brain just doesn't want to think about it. Fire hosed you with a whole lot of information that doesn't mean anything. And then Ben Godfrey at the end there is like, oh, thank you very much for that. I mean, I really want to hear that again almost because it was like so... If you want to, hit play again. Let's do it. (laughs) 
bullshit. Okay, the starting point is to think about the word translation. Bullshit. They're saying we don't know what they mean by translate. Means something different with each of his words. Because each thing is different. It could be a stone, it could be just inspiration, perspiration, masturbation. <laughs> so when you're thinking about the word translate, really think about what it means for a modern quote prophet who's really just a middle-aged guy who wants to get laid with a bunch of women that he hasn't really married <laughs> and who are underage. And he's got to convince people how to give him money. So that's how that modern day prophet talked to God and translated things that God wanted him to hear. Mm, he just translated his desires into actions, essentially. He translated his erection into <laughs> A revelation from God that he should marry Fanny Alger. It's called the Erection to Revelation Pipeline. Do you want to know what that looks like? I'm going to show you what that looks like using a drawing. Okay, so this is my stick figure from the Erection. That's Joseph Smith with a hat and an erection. And then, the, and then this is how it works. So the arrow goes from his erection to the sky <laughs> to his brain using magical fairy dust. That's right. And then out of his mouth comes bullshit. Right. And that goes into somebody's ear and into their brain. And then it causes their pocket to lose money. Or if you're a girl who wants to get laid with Joseph Smith, I guess it causes you to like open up your legs. I'm not really sure. I think that's exactly what Joseph Smith yeah. was going for. Yes. So that is the <laughs> erection to revelation pipeline. And it turns into money and babies. It does. It does. And babies turn into money down the road. It's enticing. That's very good. It's a wonderful thing. All right. So let's see. What do these folks have to say next? Number three. Oh. <laughs> Huh. Yes. Mormons embellished beyond belief. So what does that say about the previous 19 chapters of Saints, Volume 1? There's a wonderful story that I've heard many times. All the pioneer women taking their fine china and smashing it up and putting it on the outside of the Kirtland Temple. Oh, I've heard this story. <laughs> I wondered if you might have. What I read in this book sounded a little bit different. The wonderful part about it is it's mostly accurate. Mostly. Oh, that means it's mostly not true. I knew it wasn't true. This happens a lot uh, in history, uh, in Mormon history, in other histories, history of world history. People who look back, particularly when their ancestor is involved, will uh, add to the story or embellish the story. What actually happened is they had an idea that if they could crush up pieces of glass or china, that they could put it in the stucco and that would add a, a sparkle or a shine. And in all likelihood, they went and found broken bottles, broken glass, broken window pane. Once you crush it up, no matter how fancy it was to begin with, it's a little fleck of glass or china and it sparkles uh, the same way. It was just like trash glass. 
How many china sets would you have to add to the stucco to make the whole building shimmer? I mean, I, I don't know if the temple really shimmers that much. Maybe they're just imagining it. Maybe none of this happened. Considering that they're admitting that the story that everyone has heard has been quite embellished, just makes you question everything. Hold on, I gotta see what the Kirkland Temple looks like. <laughs> I should look this up too. Because I don't know, do they shine that much? Yeah, I'm like, really? It is a pretty small temple, isn't it? I know, it's one of the older ones. Does it shimmer? I mean, it's very white, but... I think maybe you'd have to be there in person, maybe? No, I don't see any shimmer. But yeah, well, that's what happens when you use trash glass instead of fine china. That's right. It doesn't shimmer. Okay. Well, I'm over it. That's just another one of my images of the world shattered. Just like the glass that was put into the stucco. I don't know any truth anymore. All right. Number four. Go for it. Sometimes Smitty ain't a cock block. Newell is a widower. Lydia has been abandoned by a husband. This was a very unromantic proposal. It was basically, hey, you're lonely, I'm lonely. Maybe we could solve our loneliness. Dick we Love. can't make a PBS special about this one. <laughs> you know, this one is really pragmatic. <laughs> Lydia, even though she doesn't know where her husband is, she wants to make sure that she has taken care of that responsibility before she takes on another commitment to marriage. Before she takes on this new man's stick. What does Joseph tell them? Well, he ultimately tells them that it's okay. And of course he does. Gives them his blessing. Ah, oh, such blessing. Yeah. And they're married the next day, I think. <laughs> Pretty incredible story um, of how individual lives can seek direction from the prophet and and really these two great members of the church can come together to, to solve their problem of loneliness. Oh my god. Usually we hear stories about sending the men overseas and the women being sexually frustrated at home and the men being sexually frustrated overseas so they end up fucking other women overseas and Smitty just uh, cashing in on all the ladies left behind. That's usually what we hear. But no, this time he actually facilitated the fucking oh, he's like, don't worry about that husband that ran off. It's the correct answer. Absolutely. Your husband left you. Cool. Move on. I mean, when you racked up like 15 wives already you can be a little generous with your friends and let them get a few especially when she's already basically like a divorced floozy that the first husband threw off and didn't want so you might as well right? pawn her off on somebody to take care of her it was such a pragmatic idea basically these people are praising joseph smith for letting somebody recognize a divorce or recognize an abandonment i mean look you're living in the territories at this point without a whole lot of rules right somebody's gotta be the moral authority of the group to say okay by the way like i guess you're divorced now because your husband might be dead in the forest or off with another man who knows <laughs> I mean, and these guys are like oh look how wise and wisdomful this joseph smith is and uh. deifying him for just doing something that any decent leader would probably do right okay yeah. Good for him. Good for him. I mean, but also a good leader wouldn't take 10% of all your money while lying to you and then taking your wives. <laughs> so uh. that doesn't negate all the other bad shit that he's done. No, it doesn't. So. And yet they seem to see this as a big instructional moment about um, Smitty. I don't think it really says much about him at all. It's just that for once he wasn't a cock block. 
No, they're trying all the time to find something to make him look so great about. There's just nothing. There's nothing there. One thing I wanted to say, to me it sounded like Sarah was really surprised that this is where that book came from. And even Ben Godfrey at the end, I feel like he was forcing out that thank you that he said, ah, thank you for that. That really helps, you know, or whatever. And I know that Jones disagrees, but I think this historian once again might have been a little bit subversive because he's just telling you the facts. And if you just look at the facts, Joseph is a con artist. He made it up. He made it all he just told you that he made it all up that's what that historian said if you just listen yeah i feel like though there's an argument to be made that they're taking the sting out of it well that's what joan says too by the time you're listening to this podcast like you might be doing it to try to convince yourself more to like remind yourself so that you can sound more knowledgeable about the classes that you're teaching already (laughs) you're already in the church you're diagram showed how it was translated very good Uh, yeah i'm just very hopeful that this diagram helps (laughs) if you feel comfortable please send me a copy of that and that can be the artwork that's great i might clean it up a little bit for you before i send it (laughs) it'll still be very very quick and dirty just like joseph's relationships just like his short sad life yes (laughs) well Thank you so much for investigating Mormonism with me this week once again. Once again. In all its goriness and bodily fluids. Of course. And good luck surviving your new job. Are you going to be alive for much longer, do you think? Oh, yes. I'm making it work. This is just the way it is. I couldn't make my own business work, so now it's back to the grindstone. That's all right. I will still make wonderful things happen, but maybe at a slower pace. Actually, I had a really funny story story this week so we were listening to people take calls right because we're learning about it and we're going to take some calls next week and something stuffed up with the dialer the hold music which is this crazy jazz sound oh no this new caller came in over this jazz music and he was hearing it too and he's going it's not coming from me so he was very unimpressed (laughs) and then they just decided to like okay we're just going to work with this so he starts to explain his financial issues that he's called the bank about and it just made it all sound like a carry-on movie or something oh my god that would make me so crazy (laughs) i wouldn't be able to continue i would be like let me call back i laughed so hard god all right i'll talk to you later (laughs) bye i guess this is my new normal